0: Can we all just admit that I was right about Mac Jones from the start? He's good, he's not great, and they have made him worse by what they have done to him this year. The passion. This UVM team is the most athletic team I can remember in the eight years I've been covering them. They're that fast, they're that quick, they're that bouncy. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Craig Breslow might be great. But he's got to start spending money. I think he's going to, but he better start soon. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. What's up, everybody? A very happy, a very different, a very historic Thursday to you here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com historic in a couple of different ways right historic because this is the day that sports betting and sports gambling goes live in the state of vermont i had intended to do a lot of stuff on that today and have some fun with it i talked to a guy earlier today at draft kings i was going to play the interview maybe you'll hear a little bit of it in this show but really it's going to be a bill belichick based show historic thursday and that bill belichick out as head coach of the patriots after 24 years after unprecedented success 24 years nine super bowl appearances one Super Bowl for every 2.8 years coached or whatever in New England is insane six Super Bowl titles one title for every four years he coached here an NFL record 31 playoff wins 292 and 120 overall we truly will never see anything like this again you can get in with your reaction where are you surprised by this? Are you happy by this? Are you angry by this? Are you saddened by this? Are you never gonna watch the Patriots again? Do you think they can pick the right coach? What kind of coach do you want? Your reaction all show long, eight oh two five eight five. 3026. I am here. You are here. Danny is here. We're going to talk to Buster later, but I'm going to ask Buster some Bill Belichick baseball-ish related questions. A couple of things on the Red Sox, but by and large, it's mostly all Bill all the time today. For the texter who doesn't like Patriots talk, this show might not be for you. I don't know what else you want me to talk about today. It was a great Celtics win yesterday. I had a lot planned on that, too, but this is taking over the show. Danny, let go.
1: Five, four, three, two. One. And where
0: we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farca Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Vermont and upstate New York's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, Rouses Point, New York, and at Swanton Lumber. They are online at sticksandstuff.com. Look, yesterday was for me telling you I think the Patriots need to make a change. Tomorrow is for us figuring out where the organization goes from here. Today, today is for thanks, today is for gratitude, and today is for appreciation. Today is not for me to say I told you so. Today is not for me to gloat about being right about this or whatever. Today is for appreciation. At the end of the day, Bill Belichick has given all of us an unbelievable amount of joy for a quarter century. Okay? Danny, nearly all of your life has been spent with Bill Belichick as the head coach of the Patriots. And that is that is like unfathomable to think about, that there are people, there are a generation of football fans that do not know the NFL without Bill Belichick being the head coach of the Patriots and are about to have a very different reality moving forward next year. The joys... That Bill Belichick helped provide for us on Sundays, the joys that Bill Belichick helped provide for us in the months of January and February, it is unprecedented. We will never see anything like this. We will never see a run like this in the NFL. Robert Kraft said it well. We'll play some of the audio throughout the show. Robert Kraft said it well. Not only was there an unprecedented level of winning, but the fact that it came in the salary cap and the free agent era makes it all the more impressive. Right? Right? In an era of player empowerment, in an era of players wanting more money, in an era of the cap, in an era of of player mobility, all of it, Bill Belichick was able to get it all together for 24 years and have the greatest run of any coach in this sports history. The coaches that you hear about being great coaches in the NFL, Don Shula, Tom Landry, Vince Lombardi, Jerry, Jimmy Johnson, whoever it is, George Hallis, whoever your coach was, none of them were as good across the board as Bill Belichick. Yes, Shula has more wins, but no one has more titles. Even okay, even Bill Parcells is looking up at Bill Belichick. We we all owe Bill Belichick. I owe Bill Belichick a debt of gratitude. I have never once talked to Bill Belichick. I one time sat in the same room as him, Super Bowl, whatever against I want to say the Eagles the Super Bowl that was in Minneapolis I went to a Bill Belichick press conference just for the sake of saying I did it I heard Bill Belichick speak in the same room one time I had to do that but because of Bill Belichick I've had the opportunity to cover three Super Bowls right three Patriots Super Bowls I never ever in my wildest dreams, thought that my career would take me to a spot where I was going to Super Bowls and talking and hobnobbing with stars and talking with major athletes. Bill Belichick and the Patriots getting to those games allowed me the opportunity to go. It is going to the Super Bowl four times in my career, three times for Patriots, is one of the biggest accomplishments of my professional life, of my adult life, of 10 years in radio, that is one of the best things I've ever done. Those are the stories I tell people. It's when, when when, I'm looking to brag about myself, if I ever was, that's the story I'm telling. Bill Belichick getting into those games allowed me to do it. I owe Bill Belichick gratitude from a professional standpoint, from a fan standpoint. We all owe him a debt of gratitude. The winning, the always being in it, the always being relevant, the continued dominance, the continued success, It's unparalleled, and I think, and and maybe I'll talk about this with Buster, but I was trying to think of teams in sports that were really good and kind of how quickly they fizzled. Look at the Yankees, right? The Yankees were awesome. They won a title in 96. They won a title in 98. They won a title in 99. They won a title in 2000. Right, They won four titles in five years. And then it was basically over. Bill Belichick's run of success with the Patriots was five times as long as the Yankees' reign of terror. The thing that allowed the Yankees to be called the evil empire was one-fifth as long as Bill Belichick's tenure with the Patriots. I think about the Bulls of the 90s, and there were two iterations of the Bulls of the 90s, right? There were two separate three-peats in there, but you're talking about the Bulls being great. We'll give them an eight-year period. It was one-third as long as the period that Bill Belichick was winning in New England, right? What we consider to be great dynasties pale in comparison to what this guy built here. I, I, I... Yes, it was time to move on, but it's also time today to reflect, and that reflection should be mostly positive, right? Nearly all positive, because Bill Belichick helped give us all something. Fandom, fun, success, memories. Think about how many people you've watched Patriots games with over the years. How many father and sons have bonded over the Patriots? How many... Husbands and wives have bonded over the Patriots. How many games have you gone to at Gillette Stadium to see the Patriots play? How many times have you had a Super Bowl party and the Patriots were in it? That's all because of Bill Belichick being at the core of it. Tom Brady, too, a bunch of other great players, Robert Kraft's ownership, but Bill Belichick's at the core of it. 24 seasons, six Super Bowl titles, 31 playoff wins. Danny, when you heard this, what was your reaction? This came out early this morning, probably in the six o'clock hour. I woke up at six forty five. Um, I saw it almost instantly when I woke up. What was your reaction? I don't think you're allowed to be shocked because I looked at, but I still looked at the TV in here and I was like, whoa, that, that's happening. Even though we were been talking about it for weeks. Phil in Middlesex says, well, it happened today. Bill Belichick is the most underappreciated coach of all time. Who else has won six Super Bowls? Not Lombardi, not Shula, they each won two in Bill We Trust. You cannot sit here and say that Bill Belichick is the most underappreciated coach of all time. Bill Belichick is known as the GOAT. Bill Belichick is known as the greatest coach of all time. He's known as the most brilliant football mind of all time. And other people who know football far greater than me have all sit here and have all sat here and said that. Right? Bill Belichick is very, very appreciated. What is, you know, what I think the conversation around Bill will go to eventually is did Bill lose his way? We've got Colin Cowherd who said that. We'll play some of that later. Did Bill lose his way? What about did Bill evolve enough and all that? People will wonder if Bill was too much in the past rather than looking towards the future. But as far as not being appreciated, I don't buy that. Bill Belichick is absolutely appreciative. Texer says he is not above Lombardi. Why? Right? Vince Lombardi was a great coach. Vince Lombardi is one of the earliest great coaches in football, right? So is George Hallis. So is Tom Landry. So are other people from the 1950s. Bill Belichick won six titles. He did it in the modern game. While the rules were skewed for offense for the players, from a coaching perspective, the game has never been harder than it is today. And for a long time, Bill Belichick was always the guy ahead of the curve. Maybe we think he's fallen a little bit behind the curve now, but he was always ahead of the curve. It's never been harder in the NFL to be a coach. When you talk about connecting with this generation of players, when you talk about connecting with young people, when you talk about the offensive schemes, when you talk about the emphasis on certain things that weren't an emphasis 25 years ago, the abandonment of the run game and a lot of things, it's harder to be a coach now. Maybe it's a little easier to be a player in some spots, but I think it's harder to be a coach. And you're dealing with, more money and more obligations and more media and more social media. I think it's more difficult and all-encompassing now than it's ever been. And Bill Belichick for a long time was at the forefront of it, the cutting edge of it, and found a way to succeed. I don't think he's underappreciated. Um, text says, Sports Illustrated ran an article on Belichick in 2004. Um, said his dogs destroyed his beloved copy of his Paul Brown coaching book. I sent a letter with a copy of that book that I had, seeing he needed it more than I did. Never expected a thing. Months later, in another Lombardi trophy, I got a very nice signed letter from Coach Belichick. Total class. That was from Peter and Williston. And you know what? I I would say that story was made up. But I believe that story because I know Peter and Williston a little bit, right? Peter and Williston is one of our best texters. He's always he's always listening to the show, one of our best listeners. Peter and Williston actually used to do radio. So Peter and Williston has connections in the industry. He knows how to get things to people, how to get in touch with people. He's also a Cincinnati fan, so the idea he would have Paul Brown's book is absolutely a reality to me. And I think he could very easily get it to Bill Belichick. That, that is a great story, and I believe that it is true. Like, unequivocally, not a doubt in my mind that that story is true. And that doesn't surprise me from Bill Belichick either. Bill Belichick is a historian, and as gruff as he is with the media and as business-like as he is with the players, I think at his core, Bill Belichick is a good human being. I don't believe he inspires the locker room properly now, but I believe he is a good human being. So I could absolutely see him doing that. 802-585-3026. All my hater is back, Danny. He says, uh, you should mention St. Mike's being undefeated in the Northeast 10. You have to at least mention them. Congratulations to Coach Eric Eaton. There, I like Eric. I mentioned it. It's 544 here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Danny, when we come back, Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft say this was a mutual parting of the ways. Do we believe that, or is that just window dressing the truth? We'll talk about it next on DEV. Welcome back in. Ready for our show right here on WDEV AM and FM at WDEVradio.com. The way this worked today was at noon. Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft held a joint press conference. Bill Belichick spoke first. Robert Kraft spoke second. They did not take any questions. We'll get to that later. Here's how Bill Belichick started this. He called this a mutual parting of the ways.
1: Uh, Robert and I, after you know, a series of discussions, have uh, mutually uh, agreed to um, part ways. And uh, for me, this is a day of, um, you know, gratitude and celebration. Um, start with Robert and his family. Um, it's great. So much thanks for the opportunity to, to be head coach here for 24 years. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity. Um, received tremendous support. Uh, we had a vision of, you know, building a winner, building a championship football team here. And uh, that's exceeded my, my wildest dreams um, and expectations. Uh, the amount of success that we were able to achieve together, um, you know, through a lot of hard work and, you know, contributions of so many people.
0: Do you believe it was mutual? They say it's a mutual parting of the ways. Bill Belichick called it a mutual parting of the ways. Robert Kraft went up and said that and also said it is an amicable, amicable parting of the ways. Do you believe that it was mutual? I don't believe it for a second. Okay. I do not believe that this was mutual for a second. I believe that Bill Belichick was pushed out. This is something we've been talking about, something that we have predicted. This doesn't surprise me. What they said today, in my mind, was nothing more than window dressing. And that's fine, by the way, right? They talked. They wanted to figure out, how do we want to talk about this? How does everybody look good? How does everybody save face? That's completely within their right. But don't believe for a second that this was mutual. All right, this was Robert Kraft wanting to move on or giving Bill Belichick an unrealistic set of expectations so that he wanted to move on. Either way, Bill Belichick was pushed out, right? I don't. I, I believe that Bill Belichick wanted to coach here, okay? I know Bill Belichick wants to coach. I believe he wanted to coach here. I believe that he pseudo-begged in order to stay here. And I believe one of two things happened. I believe Robert Kraft said, Bill, we're going in another direction, and nothing you say can change my mind. What I am willing to offer you is the be- is the thing that makes you look the best, which is saying that we mutually did this. Or Bill Belichick pseudo-begged for his job, and Robert Kraft said, Bill, you can stay – But only if A, B, C, D, E, F, and G are met. And Bill was like, Robert, I'm not going to do that. That I I can't do that. That's not the job for me. That's not the job I've had. I can't play with one hand tied behind my back, to which Robert Kraft said, fine. If you can't meet those conditions, Bill, I am moving on. Now, how do you want this to sound? We had heard. From Adam Schefter on Monday, it was when, not if. We had heard from Albert Breer. They were figuring out how to dress this up. So the the, the writing has been on the wall. This was not mutual. Okay? This was a force out. And you know what? Pete Carroll was forced out yesterday, too. The more I went and listened to Pete Carroll's audio yesterday, he said, Look, I lobbied to be the head coach here in Seattle. Eventually, I kind of went along with what they wanted. Now, Pete Carroll is going to stay in the Seahawks organization as an advisor. That, I do believe, is more amicable. Bill Belichick is going to go coach somebody else. He may be appreciative of Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft, but he's going to go somewhere else. And if it was truly amicable, if it was truly, hey, everything's okay, Bill Belichick would be working for the Patriots next year. Bill Belichick would move into a front office advisory role. Bill Belichick would – you know, become an emeritus ambassador of the organization like Pete Carroll's gonna be. This was not mutual. This was a firing that they have dressed up to make as nice as possible. And if that what make them happy, then that's that's fine. It doesn't matter at all what I think of it. It only matters how does Robert Kraft sleep at night and how does Bill Belichick sleep at night? How do they want to be perceived? But don't let them fool you into thinking that this was mutual. eight oh two five eight five 3026, I ask you now, were you surprised that this happened? Were you surprised at the decision that came down today from the Patriots? You know I wasn't. I've been calling for this for months, right? I've been calling since the Patriots got railroaded by Dallas and got railroaded by New Orleans. I've been calling for Bill Belichick to be traded. They ultimately didn't trade him. Robert Kraft said he didn't feel it was right to try to extract every ounce of value out of Bill Belichick for all Bill Belichick has given him. That's fine. But I've been calling for Bill Belichick to be gone since October. So, no, I am not surprised at this. I think this was the right decision. I think this was the right decision for the organization. I think it was the right decision for the future of the organization. What I was surprised at, though, Danny, was – how cordial this was today, right? Well, I don't think it was mutual, the decision to part ways. I do think it was mutual, the decision to be classy. And I didn't think we'd get that. I'm of the belief that generally breakups don't end well. And I didn't think that this one was going to end well either. And well, maybe it didn't end well behind the scenes, they certainly did dress it up in a very, very classy way, for the fans today, for everyone in attendance, for the media. I I did not think we'd get a joint press conference. I thought maybe we'd get a statement from Bill Belichick. I didn't think that we'd see him at the podium at all. I didn't think that you would see them or hear them talk so lovingly about each other because I figured that there was animosity behind the scenes. and I think there probably is, but they did a good enough job for putting that aside for at least – a handful of minutes, the ten minutes that this press conference went went, which I didn't think was going to happen. I thought Bill was going to have to be dragged out kicking and screaming. I thought maybe he'd release a statement, and then I thought he would go out and find another job and come back with the Patriot with a Robert kraft style dartboard and throw darts at it every night until he could play the Patriots again. They were classy, they were effusive in their praise of each other. And I thought it was nice. I did think the end was awkward. I did think it was uncomfortable. But I think Bill Belichick is a little awkward and uncomfortable, you know, in the best of times, right? Like. He was going to go for the hug, and Robert Kraft was going to go for the handshake. Kraft was going to go for the hug, and Belichick was going to go for the handshake. When they hugged, they weren't sure how long do we embrace for. Belichick is a little bit sick. Kraft is in his mid-80s. He didn't clearly want to be so close to Belichick because Belichick is a little under the weather. So I thought it was a little awkward. I thought it was a little uncomfortable at the end. But by and large, it was very, very classy, and I did not expect that. The, The decision to move on. That I expected. That I was ready for. How it played out today, that was something that was different to me. Um, text says, okay, we got a bunch of texts here. No doubt Kraft respects Belichick. He could have traded him, but firing him was a parting gift to let him go wherever he wants. That's fair. Danny, can you find, I know you have it, but can you pull up the cut where Robert Kraft talks about not trading Bill Belichick? Just let me know. Give me a motion when you have that. All right, you've got it. Go ahead and play that.
1: I didn't think it was right for Tom Brady, who gave us 20 years. And I, and I don't think it's right for Bill that I think each of them earned the right to be in a position where they should do what's right for us, given what they have done for this franchise. So some people might criticize me for not, you know, extracting as much value, and I understand that.
0: See, I never thought that trading Bill Belichick was bad for Bill Belichick, right? Like, if, Bill, if there's a job out there that Bill Belichick wants, trading Bill Belichick there assures that he gets that job, right? Like, if Bill Belichick wants to coach the Atlanta Falcons – well, if the Patriots just trade him to the Atlanta Falcons, he ends up where he wants anyways. I guess the gift is that, hey, we're not going to hurt your new team by extracting a draft pick from them. We're not going to take the first-round pick or the second-round pick of the place you're going. I guess that is the benefit, and I guess the benefit also is if Bill Belichick wants to take a year off, now he can't. I don't know that Bill Belichick would want that at 71 or whatever Bill Belichick is. I don't know that it would be smart to take a year off. But I heard Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston say earlier uh, late last week, maybe Bill would like to take a year off and go into broadcasting. I, I don't see that. But if Bill Belichick got traded to a team, he's locked into coaching. If Bill Belichick got, you know, got fired and is now a free agent, he has the freedom to take a year off. The other thing I guess now he has the freedom to do is wait for the playoffs, right? If the Patriots were going to facilitate a trade, they would probably want to facilitate that trade fairly quickly, and he'd be locked into the seven other teams that are looking for jobs now. This gives him a chance to, okay, what if Dallas fires their coach? What if Philly fires their coach? What if whoever moves on from their coach, now the playoff teams are available as well? So I don't think that trading him would have been the, you know, like a, a personal affront to him in any way. But it does open him up more options, so I can see this idea of it being a parting gift. Perhaps Belichick, uh just wanted to go somewhere that has talent so he could coach a winning team now. Well, yeah, we'd all like to coach talented teams, but Belichick's the guy who assembled this roster. So, if Bel- you know, Belichick doesn't really have a leg to stand on there. The team doesn't have talent. Belichick's the guy who made this team. So, yeah, maybe he'd like to jump ship and go to a better team. But he's got to recognize the failure and culpability he has in this team. John in Moncton. I appreciate all that has uh, been the Patriots dynasty. I did not become a Brady hater when he left, nor did I become a Tampa fan. I cheered for them in the 70s and the 80s and so on. I will continue to cheer for them. I appreciate Bill and the Kraft family. I am mildly surprised. Text says... um, (laughs) So Bill is out in New England. You've been expecting that for weeks. Can we talk for weeks about who should be the next coach and then talk for weeks about how he's going to change the winning culture in New England or change the culture and get back to winning? Let's make it easy. I think Vrabel should be the next head coach. He has a connection to the Patriots, and he seems to have a good reputation as an NFL head coach. We can talk about that on the other side of the break. We will talk about that. Bob over in Moncton. They could have traded him somewhere he didn't want to go. That would never happen. Right? Like if Bill Belichick is refusing to coach the Falcons or the Commanders or whatever, they're not going, like they're not going to trade for him. Like that's not going to happen. They were not going to do that. So that was never going to be reality. Let's have a proper morning period and then move on. That's fair. That's fair. Like, right? That's absolutely fair. Today is, yesterday was for what they should have done. Tomorrow is for what they should do next. Today is for appreciation. I will do a little bit of what they should do next. It'll be based on that text that we just got. Um, Tom Brady has weighed in on Bill Belichick's situation. What did the GOAT tap to say about his former boss? I'll tell you what that is after CBS News here on WDEV AM and FM at WDEVRadio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas, show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Texter says, how eerie would it be if Sabin and Belichick teamed up and coached the team for the next three years or so? I don't think it would be eerie, really. Like, honestly, I've seen Belichick and Saban coach. I'm used to them coaching. I've seen them coach together before. They were coached together in Cleveland. I actually don't think it would be eerie. I actually think it would be kind of nice and the fact that these guys love each other and their best friends, I just don't think it's going to happen. Because one of them is not going to have the power or the job that they want. It, would Belichick, could Belichick be a GM of a team and Saban an NFL head coach? Maybe, but I think Belichick wants to coach. Belichick going to be a head coach and Saban a defensive coordinator? No, I don't think that's ever going to happen. So it wouldn't be eerie. It wouldn't, like, I, I wouldn't even be surprised by seeing them on the same sideline together. It would surprise me. You know, given the roles that I know that the two of them would want, I don't think they could make it work. But that's really the the only limiting factor in that. If they worked together again, it, it wouldn't have shocked me. We'll get Buster only with us here, by the way, in about uh, 15 minutes or so. Buster, I think Buster and I are going to talk a little bit about Belichick because I've actually got some baseball tie-ins to Belichick. And there is a little bit of Red Sox news I want to ask him too, but mostly it's all Bill all the time. Tom Brady. Weighed in on Belichick today on social media, and I'm reading this word for word. I'm incredibly grateful to have played for the best coach in the history of the NFL. He was a great leader for the organization and for all the players who played for him. We accomplished some amazing things over a long period of time, many of which will be hard to replicate. He worked every day to help us achieve the ultimate goal in the ultimate team sport. And although we were successful, some of the greatest lessons I learned were in the moments where we faced the most challenging adversities. He set the tone for the organization to never falter in the face of adversity and to do what we could do and what was in our control, which was to go out and do our job. I could never have been the player I was without you, Coach Belichick. I am forever grateful and I wish you the best of luck in whatever you choose next. End quote. Tom Brady with some powerful words there, right? For the people who think that Brady hates Belichick, I offer you that sec- I offer you that social media post. And I think it's fair to say, as they say, time heals all wounds. I do believe that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick had a bad, had a bad divorce. I do believe that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick had some real animosity. I think that Tom Brady will always be resentful of what happened to him at the end in Foxborough. But that was four years ago. And Tom Brady's gone through a lot in his life since then, right? Tom Brady has gone through a divorce now. And Tom Brady has won another Super Bowl. Tom Brady has had incredible highs leaving Foxborough. He's had incredible lows leaving Foxborough. He's come back to Foxborough and played. He's come back to Foxborough as a, you know, and been honored here opening day this year. A lot's happened in four years. Does that mean that everything that happened in 2018 is erased? No, but time heals all wounds and it does appear to have healed it for Tom Brady. And I appreciate the message from Brady about Belichick, because he's right. He never could have been the player he was without Bill Belichick. He was always going to work hard. Belichick made him work harder. He was always going to push himself. Belichick pushed him more, and vice versa. As I've said forever, these two are forever linked, and they made each other better. And as for which one was more important, it's really irrelevant. It doesn't matter. They made each other better. They brought the best out of themselves, and Tom Brady articulated that perfectly uh, earlier today on social media. Saw a couple of other social media posts from former Patriots, current Patriots as well. Julian Edelman said, "I wouldn't have changed a thing." Mac Wilson, linebacker for the Patriots, you know, said an emoji that basically led us to believe that he didn't like this move to get rid of Belichick. Um, LeBron weighed in on Belichick and said he was the best of all time. So, the popular sentiment today is that Bill Belichick is the greatest, the sport has been better for having him in it, and he was someone who was very good to his players and very good to play with. Not everybody's going to feel that way. We know Asante Samuel can't stand Bill Belichick. I know Cassius Marsh can't stand Bill Belichick. I know Ted Johnson's had some real beef with Bill Belichick in the past, so... There's going to be people that don't share Tom Brady's sentiment, but by and large, I think the sentiment has been fairly good today. And I think Bill Belichick deserves that sentiment today because this is a day of happiness, a day of gratitude, a day of appreciation, and a day of reflection. Um, Danny, there's a lot of different places I want to go here before Buster, but – let me hear a little bit more from the press conference, right? Let's pull up some more of the press conference audio here. Let's hear Bill Belichick uh, thanking the fans of the Patriots. Bill didn't get real emotional. He he held it together well. He did have some pretty effusive praise for the fans in New England, though, also.
1: And finally, to the fans. Um, you know, the fans here are amazing. Um, you know, so many memories of the fans, the, the send-offs, um, the parades, um, the Sundays, you know, whatever the whatever the situations are, um, the letters of support, uh, the you know, seeing the fans, you know, away from here, you know, at a gas station or a grocery store, or you know, wherever you bump into them? Uh, Patriot fans here, and not just in New England, but uh, they extend nationally and even internationally. Uh, as I've traveled, uh, it's amazing how far the the arm reaches. We saw that this year in, in Germany. So. Uh, so appreciative of the fans for all the support they've given me, uh, my family, uh, and this football team.
0: Belichick, you could see him kind of, he was quivering a little bit there, but again, he held it together. Robert Kraft says this was an emotional day for him.
1: It's hard to put into words, really, when I think back to sitting on those metal benches, and that we'd have an opportunity to go to ten Super Bowls together and bring six Lombardi trophies home to Massachusetts. At heart, I will always be a sentimental sports fan. So this is a very emotional day for me. Some of my happiest and most memorable moments were celebrated with my family during Bill's tenure here.
0: Now, Robert Kraft says we went to ten Super Bowls together He's referencing Belichick being an assistant coach and the DB coach on that 96 team under Bill Parcell. So if anybody said, hey, it was only nine Super Bowls, well, there you go, right? It was 10 when you include Belichick being on a, on a staff in Foxborough. Um, you know, I think they said the right things. As I said, I was kind of surprised at how classy it was. They said the right things. I got to tell you, Danny, I don't know if you felt this way. I didn't love. The style of this, I didn't love the style of this press conference. They, it was classy. They said a lot of the right things. I wanted more. And I don't know if you felt that way, but I certainly felt that way. I don't know when Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick are ever going to be in the room together again, right? The, the reality is this, is that Bill Belichick's going to go somewhere and coach and let's just say he's there four years, right, until 75, until 76. Well, Robert Kraft's going to be like 87 or 88 at that point. I don't know what Robert Kraft is going to be like at 87 or 88. We very well may not have gotten – like this may be it for us in terms of having Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft in the same room together where everybody has their full faculties about them. And that's a scary reality, but it is reality. Robert Kraft is is going to be near 90 by the time I think that Bill Belichick might be done coaching. By the time Bill Belichick comes back to get honored in the Patriot Hall of Fame, I don't know that Robert Kraft will be the one honoring him. I wanted more here. I wanted a longer press conference. I wanted questions answered. I actually thought it was incredibly weak. That the que- that there wasn't a question and answer session, and I don't know if that was Kraft who said, "Look, I don't want a bunch of questions about the future. I want to focus on Bill." I don't know if it was Bill who said, "I don't want to talk about the future." Both of them, but I wanted questions. I wanted the tears. To be honest with you, I wanted Bill Belichick to show the humanity. I wanted Robert Kraft to show the humanity. They don't all have to be buttoned up all the time. I was looking for the stories. Bill, what was your best moment? Bill. What are some of the things you'll always take away from this place? Bill, talk to me about some of the players and give me some stories about Teddy Bruschi and Ty Law and Tom Brady. And I was looking for what happened. I was here for what happened yesterday in Seattle, right? Pete Carroll stayed afterwards and talked with people for six hours after his press conference, and then he went out to dinner with a bunch of his former players, a bunch of his current players that were in Seattle this year. And it was just a big Happy Kumbaya moment. I was here for that. I was here for Tom Brady to have dinner with Bill Belichick, for Ty Law, for Richard Seymour, for Randy Moss, for whoever wanted to come. I was here for the stories. I was here for the memories. I was here for the emotions. And I was here for the questions that led us to those reflections. And I was here for more emotion. I was here for more heart. Again, they were buttoned up. Belichick is, is sick. I get Kraft didn't want to be that close and emotional, no, emotional to him. But Danny, this, this might be the only chance we ever had to get those two in the room talking in an emotional way. Everybody always says, oh, you know, hey, there's time for that at the Hall of Fame. There's time for that when he comes back to Foxborough. There may not be time for that in this case. Belichick is 71. He's almost 72. Robert Kraft is, I got, I mean, Danny, I got to pull up his exact birthday here, but Robert Kraft is, he's 82 going to 83. By the time Belichick is done, I mean, he's going to be, he's going to be almost 90. And I don't know if he's going to be here and what he's going to be like. And I would have loved for those two to be in the room one time and just Let the emotions fly, and we didn't get that. Do you do you feel the same way I do, Danny, or did you think it was short, sweet, to the point, on brand, and appropriate?
2: I thought it was very professional, but I think it would have been more emotional if it was uh, actual retirement. But Belichick, in his mind, is you know still working.
0: He's certain he is working. He is Belichick is not retiring. I mean, Robert Kraft said it's going to be hard to watch him in a cutoff hoodie on someone else's sideline. Like he's going to coach. Whether he coaches this year or next year, takes a year off, that I can't be a 1,000% sure of. I think he's going to coach this year, and I think he's going to maybe take his time and examine his landscape and his market, but he's absolutely going to coach. Maybe you're right. If it was a true retirement, it would have been, um, you know, it could have been more emotional, but.
2: He doesn't get emotional unless he's sitting next to Parcells.
0: I just wanted, I wanted the emotion. And I'm a sentimental sap, right? But I wanted the emotion. 802-585-3026. I do think it was weak to not answer questions, to not have questions. Again, I understand they don't want to talk about the future on this day. I might have shut down all of those questions if I were the PR guy. But the reflection questions, those I wanted to hear. All um, right. All right. Tech says, Um if Dan Quinn doesn't go back to Seattle, he's a defensive coordinator in Dallas, he's my number one choice to replace Belichick. Maybe Eric Bieniemy also could be the job. We'll, we'll talk about some of this stuff as we uh, as we move forward here. Tex says, give me a break, Brady. Let's see. Actually, here we go. I'm really pleased with how the Patriots handled Bill's exit. You rarely see coaches and owners come together in an exit presser unless the coaches earned it. Another class act by the Kraft family. If there was a behind-the-scenes turmoil, at least we have that lasting image of a genuine hug between the two legends in Patriots history. Give me a break, Brady. It was great. You know, that's a fair point, okay? That is a fair point. You do have the lasting image. A little awkward, a little uncomfortable, but you do have a lasting image of togetherness. I just wanted it to go further. That's all, right? What happened today was nice. I just wanted more. So I think it's fair for you to say you were okay with it. I also think it's fair for me to say I wanted the waterworks. I, I wanted the old players sitting in the back tearing up. I wanted that, and we didn't get that. And I was disappointed, but it doesn't make what happened today wrong. It just didn't go as far as I would have liked. Uh, Joe over in Richmond, I still can't believe he's not coaching the Patriots anymore. I honestly thought he would stay a few more years and try to break Shula's record here. But I wish him the best. I think he would have stayed a few more years and tried to break Shula's record in New England. Robert Kraft didn't want him anymore. Right? Robert Kraft didn't want him anymore. And it's that simple. Right? They call it a mutual parting of ways. It's... It wasn't. Right? That's a window dressed up. It's a window dressing of a firing. And that's fine. If that's what helps them feel better at night, that's cool. But Robert Kraft wanted Bill Belichick out. And Bill Belichick would have stayed had that not been the case. Um, all right. Let's transition. We're still going to talk some Bill here. i got to ask a few baseball questions of Buster. Buster's been waiting for us here for a bit. We appreciate his flexibility. Uh, Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insiders, with us now on the Brady Farkas Show. Buster, uh, thank you for being with us today. How are you?
2: Uh, I'm doing okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you are absolutely saturated with the uh, conversation around the greatest NFL coach ever. Yes. And uh what happens next?
0: Yeah, we we're certainly talking a lot about a lot of reflecting today and a lot of what comes next. Let me relay it to baseball or relate it to baseball as best I can. You covered the Yankees for a long time. I I don't remember exactly what it was like when Joe Torre stopped managing the Yankees. Take me back to that time. What was that like?
2: Well, it wasn't a surprise per se because his you know as George Steinbrenner the Yankees owner began his health began to fail um uh, you know Joe and and, uh, and George had had a you know not a great relationship but they could work together a little bit um and you could feel the separation begin to develop with uh Joe and you know the the owners of you know George Steinbrenner's sons and it changed the context for everything and I must say that when you look back on it and the time that he left and maybe where Joe was in his career, I think it worked out. I think it was probably the appropriate time. I think being a manager of a, or a coach of a team, high-profile team that's had a lot of success, at some point it's got to end and everyone's got to move on. And uh, you know, Joe Girardi was probably the best guy to take over for Joe at that time just because of his history with the Yankees. And and I, that's why I do wonder if you know uh, Mayo or you know Brabel would be the perfect pit, you know guys because uh, they're beloved by the fan base.
0: A couple of interesting points on that. Let me start there first. See, it's interesting. Some people love what you just said, right? These guys are part of the Patriots. They're part of the family. They get the Patriot way. All the old links to the old great times. Other people are like, look. The old way is not working anymore. I want to get as far away from the old ideology as possible. Where do you kind of land on, like, keeping a job in the family versus charting a new course?
2: I, I do think, generally speaking, they should just aim for the, the coach that they think has the highest ceiling. Uh, but I do think that the one thing, and, and there's actually a little bit of a parallel with the Red Sox and Alex Cora, is Mike Bloom, uh, you know, was making a decision whether or not to bring Alex Cora back. I thought a really important point was that Alex's presence, because he was known by the fan base, bought time for Heim to try to put in some, some, uh, some changes. And the Patriots are gonna need time. Like, they're not, it's not an overnight fix. And if you bring in an outsider, uh, if the Patriots struggle the next couple of years, you know and I know that Patriots fans are quickly gonna forget the struggles of the last couple of years with the, with the team. Under Belichick and they're going to be talking about the glory days under Belichick yeah. and that's going to be the standard that they're held to. You know, when I covered the Yankees, the big question was, okay, who's going to replace Derek Jeter? And nobody, the fan base doesn't remember the Derek Jeter in the back end of his career when he was struggling. They remember Derek Jeter's superstar shortstop. And so it's a really high bar for someone to drop into that job. And that's what's going, the next coach is, is going to face. Which is why personally, I think if uh, all things are equal, I'm picking an expatriate. I'm picking Brable, who I think is a great coach. Uh, and, you know, I'm shocked that Titans let him go. Um, you know, I'm picking Mayo. Uh, you know, some, uh, folks who are known to the fan base. Well, la- last point here
0: on, on Belichick as it relates to baseball. It's interesting as I've kind of gone back and forth on this Joe Tory thing with the Yankees trying to find parallels. I think the easy thing, and I think what's true, is like it all began to crumble really when Brady left, right? Brady bought into what Belichick was doing for so long. It was kind of always an easy thing to sell. And as those links to Brady and Brady himself go, it's become harder and harder for Belichick to keep up. When I look at the Yankees, I'm like, Almost everybody that made Joe Torre great was still there at the end. So I'm surprised to hear you say that it deteriorated so quickly for him in New York because Jeter and Posada and Rivera and Pettit and all those guys were still around. It's kind of surprising for me to hear.
2: Well, the culture changed dramatically. Like the teams that won the World Series under Joe, you know, four titles in five years, you know, five World Series appearances in six years from ninety six to two thousand one. You know, that was a, a, an organic culture that really worked. And by the time he got to Joe's last year, it was mo- becoming more and more a team of free agents. Uh, and so many of them struggled, right? Uh, so I think it, that, that that was part of it. And I, you know, and I do want to, I haven't asked Joe this, who I have a ton of respect for. I think he goes down in history He's one of the best managers ever. I wondered about his energy at the end. I wondered about Belichick's energy mm. at the end. You know, does, does Belichick, does he, does he have the, uh, the energy to, to change with the industry, uh, as, uh, you know, trends develop with other teams?
0: Buster only, ESPN, be Insider with us here in the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. All right, let's transition to a little bit of baseball news here. Some still, some stories here involving the Red Sox. The big moves two weeks ago to trade Chris Sale to get Lucas Giolito, but they miss out on yet another target, right? They miss out on Tiasca Hernandez in the outfield. They miss out on Shoto Imanaga, who signs with the Chicago Cubs. Buster, it's kind of more of the same for socks, for the Sox, but you think they do have something big in
2: them still. Yeah, ESPN.com, the editors asked us to, you know, predict one bold move before the start of the regular season. And I I wrote, the Red Sox are going to go out and make an expensive move because they have to. They absolutely have to for the same reason that, you know, when they signed Rafael Devers, you and I talked about this, they had to because of everything that had gone on with Betts and with Bogarts. And so when you have Tom Werner come out and talk about full throttle. You know and I know if the, if the Red Sox struggle during the course of the year, if they, on their current trajectory, if they struggle, the whole narrative for the entire season is going to be built around what Tom Werner said. And it's going to effectively undercut Craig Breslow. And again, we're going to get to September, and they're going to be giving away tickets to college students. They just can't have that happen. They have to demonstrate to the fan base that, you know, that Tom Werner wasn't full of crap, basically. And – That he was serious when he said that, you know, and there are options out there. You can go pay, pay a Jordan Montgomery, who I think is the best fit in the market for them. You can go and, you know, sign a Blake Snell. Um, and and I also think that by signing a free agent, it allows Bredslow to protect what they have in their farm system and not, you know, be in a position where he's got to consider trading to get an upgrade with the roster, but they got to do something. They can't just go ahead, you know, status quo and not add to the team that uh, they have at this moment
0: this wouldn't qualify as a big expensive move but what do you think of the rumors surrounding the Red Sox and Jorge Soler um
2: I I'd say this it, when, when you begin to look at what they have put together I, I think it's a bad idea uh and I love Soler I think he's a really good player but I don't think he's a great fit for the Red Sox for this reason you know defensively they were so challenged the last couple of years and you start out with the fact that, you know, is not a good defender. And you and I talked about that from the moment he signed. The perception was he's not that, he's not that great. Uh, if you're going to upgrade the infield, at some point you're going to have to make adjustments with Raphael Devers. And you would assume that that might involve, you know, him having some games to designate a designated hitter. Well, Solaire is a, a poor defender on his best day. And so you're suddenly going to have a roster with a bunch of guys who are best suited at DH. I don't see it now, um, you know, maybe as other teams pluck off some of these more expensive options, the Red Sox might say, well, if we add Solaire that that'll demonstrate that we're trying, I I think their defense has to be a priority coming into this year. Speaking
0: of that, what do you think of the rumors that they may be willing to trade Yoshida? Tom Karen of Nesson told us yesterday, I don't think they're actively shopping him, but they are certainly listening on everybody. And Buster, I gotta tell you, I would really hate that move. This guy came over last year, different, different, uh, different game, different country, pitchers he's never heard of, hit 290 and had 15 homers. Yep. I think 320 homers and 85 RBIs is a realistic op, is realistic for him. And at $18 million a year, that's not even that expensive. I like Yoshida with this team. What do you think?
2: Yeah, the fact that his name is out there, you know, the 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 stories that are written about it are all about how other teams are approaching the Red Sox. I don't buy that. I, I think if Yoshida's out there, it's because the Red Sox want to make a change. Um, and, you know, that, uh, and maybe they feel that inflexibility of their roster between Devers and Casas and Yoshida, uh, you know, the inability to, to go and do something like a Solaire. Um, I, I it, it would make sense for me just because I think that improving the defense absolutely has to be the number 1 priority for the 2024
0: team. You know, Buster, it's it's not fair. This is an incomplete story right now. But I think yesterday the ESPN Sunday Night Baseball early season schedule got revealed, right? All of April, a couple games in May, yep. some of June. I want to say it was like 11 games or 13 games as I recall. There's only one Red Sox game on there, and again it 's incomplete. there very well might be more throughout the season, but it certainly looks like the Red Sox right now were not a big draw at least
2: at your network. Do you
0: see it that way based on kind of how they pretend to be right now
2: and look that's way those decisions are way over my pay grade um uh, but it was interesting that last year we did not max out on Red Sox appearances like uh you know we could have um mm-hmm. and you know, we're going to follow the standings to, you know, to some degree. And right now, I, I think on paper, the Red Sox are looking like the fifth best team in the American League East. And I, so I, 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 and if the, look, um, whether it's ESPN or Fox or CBS, it's good for the, it's good business for them, for us, uh, if the Red Sox are a good team. And right now, it's hard to make that case.
0: Hard to make that case for sure, Uh Buster. Uh, do I have time to ask you one more question? I know, uh Buster. It's oddly quiet on the line, Danny. Did we lose, Buster? Yeah,
2: we just dropped.
0: Oh well, gotta feed right. that
2: in your ear, but yeah. well,
0: we were. Spoiler uh, alert. All right, we were. uh We were. I was gonna ask him one more question about the nerdy side of the TV schedule, but that's okay. Buster, we got everything that we needed to there. Buster's great. Um, yesterday i was kicking out wires by mistake and today buster appears to have hit the uh, Dave, did you ever do that when you're on the phone you hit your uh like hit the end button like with your ear or something have you ever done that oh yeah yeah so i wonder if that happened to buster i'll have to have a little fun with that next week but buster is great he doesn't want to trade yoshida either neither do i but he does say it's interesting that if the rumors are out there about him being traded then they're the ones putting him out there Eh, i don't think that would be a good idea like they want to shed the payroll of Yoshida, the salary, $72 million. I wouldn't Look, at this point eighteen million million a year for a guy who's going to hit 300, could hit 20 home runs. That's not that. Andrew Benatendi's getting $15 million a year, and he hit, like, two, one homer all season last year. So I like Yoshida. I don't want him traded. I like Soler better than Buster does, but I guess his theory is you can't have Yoshida and Soler both because they can't play defense. So if they got rid of Yoshida – then I guess Soler can slide in. But I like Soler as a power hitter. He instantly would make the lineup better, but they need pitching. They need a lot of it. Buster says, I think they're going to make a big move still because they just simply have to. Well, it hasn't stopped them yet. They haven't made a big move when they've needed to. So we'll see what happens. 802-585-3026. Interesting question that Buster and I talked about. One of our texters brought it up earlier. It relates to Gerard Mayo and Mike Vrabel. If you are the Patriots, do you like the idea of hiring someone who is in the family, or do you want to completely break away from the Bill Belichick era and the Patriot way? We'll talk about your preferences and mine. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Uh, Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. That's on from 7 o'clock till 9, and then Eye on the World with John Bachelor. All right, Danny, let's go here. Let's talk about what we were talking about with Buster a little bit. Do you like the idea of hiring someone in the Patriots family, or do you like the idea of breaking completely free of the Patriots ideology? This is a question I keep going back and forth on, to be honest with you. Yesterday I said I wanted nothing to do with a Bill Belichick ideology, and I would prefer to not have Gerard Mayo or Mike Vrabel because of that. Today I am talking myself a little bit more into it, but under this condition. I'm okay with hiring somebody that played here, provided they have a fresh way of doing things. I do not want a Bill Belichick clone. Having a Bill Belichick disciple is okay to me if that person is their own person, if that person has new, fresh, innovative ideas. That's really what I think the Patriots need. The Patriots need fresh. The Patriots don't need what was popular in 2002, what worked in 2002. The Patriots don't need someone that will be beholden to the Bill Belichick way. I need somebody that's confident enough in their own skin to be their own person to develop their own way, their own culture, their own locker room. And if that person is feeling like they have to live up to the Bill Belichick standard or they have to do it the way Bill did it or – they've only ever played for Bills, so that's all they know, so that's what they're going to do, then I'm not interested. But if somebody comes here and they are their own person and they have their own style and their own sense of flair, I will not be turned off by the fact, like I'm not going to neglect a good candidate just because somebody wore the Patriots uniform. Maybe Gerard Mayo is a great candidate. Maybe Mike Vrabel is a great candidate. I need to give them a fair shot, but I also need to know that they're not Bill 2.0. This organization has plateaued. This organization is stuck. They need to get unstuck. And the only way to get unstuck is to be innovative. The only way to get unstuck is to be something new. At the end of the day, that is what's going to help the Patriots get out of this malaise. The drafting is going to help. The quarterback will be huge but they need to unentangle them or disentangle themselves from the old way of doing things. Danny, I was listening to Albert Breer of uh, the Monday Morning Quarterback earlier today. He was on 98.5 The Sports Hub in Boston. He was talking about Gerard Mayo. He said something that was very, very appealing to me. I think Gerard's a special coaching prospect. But I use the word prospect, okay, so you don't know what he's going to be as a head coach. But I think he has special qualities that aren't unlike the qualities that Mike Frabel has, mm-hmm. that, that, um, that D'Amico Ryans has, that Dan Campbell has, that Kevin O'Connell has as ex-players. And I just think, like, all you guys, right? Like, you guys were easier to win over, I think, 20, 30 years ago because we all came from the we're going to do it because they said so generation. This generation is different, and I think what's really hard to get with this generation is engagement. And he thinks Mayo, Vrabel have that. That is the thing. Innovative and fresh and the ability to get engagement, the ability to inspire. Those are the things that I want. Right? You gotta be great at X's and O's. I want you to be great situationally. You gotta be, you gotta know when to call the timeout. All that stuff's big. But can you get engagement? Can you relate? Can you be a human being? Bill Belichick has kept his players at arm's length forever. Will the new person embrace his players? Will he embrace them for who they are? Will he allow them to be themselves? If that person is Gerard Mayo, then I will give him a fair shake. If Mike Vrabel has those qualities, I will give him a fair shake. My gut instinct is to break free of tradition. But I'm not going to neglect good candidates just because they played here. I can't. Yesterday I would have. Today I came back in after sleeping on it and thought to myself, you know, Brady, you're being a little too short-sighted. You're being a little too close minded Diversity of thought is good. Diversity in viewpoints is good. I would love for someone to come in and completely shake it up. If they played here but they have their own version of shake it up, I'm willing to listen. Texter says, Um, breaking free of Belichick is my choice. Texter says, is it just me or have Belichick's disciples underperformed as head coaches? No, it's not just you. They've all underperformed as head coaches. And the reason why largely, at least the thought has been is that they've all tried to be carbon copies of him, right? They have come up under Bill Belichick. They have adopted his style They have seen what works for him, and they've tried to replicate it. And whether it was Romeo Cronell or Charlie Weiss or Matt Patricia or Joe Judge.
1: Bill O'Brien.
0: Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien had a little more success. But Eric Mangini, they've all largely failed. Right? They've all largely been failures because they've tried to be Bill 2.0. I can't have Bill 2.0. Gerard Mayo has been working here for a number of years now. Is he Gerard Mayo who would do things differently, or is he Gerard Mayo who learned from Bill and only knows one way to do things? If he's the latter, I can't hire him. If he's the former, I'll give him a shot in the interview process. Same with Vrabel. Vrabel's been other places. He he strikes me as more Belichick 2.0. Tennessee, he had all the power. Seems like a little bit stodgy. Again, more passionate than Bill is. Seems a little bit stodgy, though. I don't love that idea. The other thing on Vrabel, and this is true, like I don't know. I do believe he's a good coach, evidenced by what he did in Tennessee. But how good a coach is he? That I don't know. They were continuously good in the worst division in football. They had a Hall of Fame running back who was there, who predated him getting there. They had Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, and the minute they got to the playoffs, they faltered. I, I don't know that Mike Vrabel was great, or he just had a good situation for a long time. Now you look at it like, okay, the Jaguars are better, Houston's better, the Colts are better, and the Titans finished last. Right? The Titans finished last. Mike Vrabel is part of the group that drafted Malik Willis last year, in the second or third round of quarterback can't play. Will Levis, Will Levis, we have no idea about his second round draft pick, we have no idea if he can play. So I, I'm a little more lukewarm on Vrabel, and a little higher on Mayo today, but innovative, fresh, and the ability to connect and get engagement, as Breer says, those are things that are very, very important to me, very, very important to me as we move forward. Danny, another thing that was very interesting is, and, and, and I will pull it up. You can play it, but I'll pull it up. I was listening to Colin Cowherd earlier today. Colin was on Fox Sports Radio, and he was talking about Belichick in a lot of different ways. And he said something That was very, very interesting that I've been pondering for the last couple of hours. Danny, give me Colin Cowherd number two. It's in the top corner there. Belichick not only lost his way, I think most of it was because he no longer followed his rules and the Patriot way. No more sacrifice. No more adjustments. No more all about winning. All of it took second place to whatever made Bill comfortable. And increasingly, in the last seven to eight years, what made him comfortable, and it frustrated Brady until the very end, was adding his kids to the staff, hiring familiar fired retreads, drafting players he wanted to coach, stockpiling picks and not taking any big swings. It's very interesting, and I don't have a great answer on that yet. I'm still pondering it, but I want to bring it to the listeners. 802 585 3026 Did Bill Belichick lose his way? Did Bill Belichick lose his way? I think in some ways, yes. Some ways, yes. Right? The disciplinary problems we saw the last couple of years, we never would have seen with the Patriots in the past. Bill appeared to have tolerated it more than he ever would have. The J.C. Jackson situation, the Jack Jones situation early. There were more disciplinary issues. There were more people speaking out the last few years. It coincides with the team not being as good, but you never would have heard that 10 years ago. I think Bill kind of let his foot off the gas with that stuff, with running the tight ship a little bit. I think Collins right there. As far as the whole comfort thing, I don't know that it I, – yeah, I guess so too. It did bother me that Bill, the last few years, of, he only seemed to trust a limited number of people. Matt Patricia, Joe Judge. Right? Josh McDaniels. His kids. It doesn't bother me that his kids were on staff. Evidently, I believe they know the game also. But he did seem to only trust a small group of people, and that kind of stunted the thought process in the locker room. In the, in the coach's room. As I just said, I want diversity of thought. I want new and fresh and innovative. There was none of that. Because everybody who was in there was a yes man to Bill, was indebted to Bill, or thought the way Bill did. And that I think really did stunt the organization. And I, I've, I've been saying that for a couple of years now. That when Matt Patricia gets fired, and you bring him back, and you throw him the lifeline, of course he's gonna be indebted to you, and he's gonna go along with what you want. Same with Joe Judge. Not a lot of guys in there who can challenge Bill. Right? Guys had left, like Flores, and... Um, you know all the other coaches over the years, and then McDaniels was gone. It's just harder for people to kind of get through to Bill, and that did bother me. The other thing that bothers me is that Bill Belichick did not go all in on any offensive philosophy. Right, we could sit here, cause I actually think Bill Belichick was onto something a few years ago. Cause like, look at where the game has gone, right? Think about this. The game has become a passing league. The game has become a speed league. So a lot of wide receivers are valuable. As a result, what do defenses need? Defenses need more speed. Defenses need quicker and more agile defensive linemen to get to quarterbacks. Defenses need quicker linebackers to cover slot receivers, to cover running backs in space. So I think, There was a point in the last few years where defenses were getting smaller. If Bill Belichick had said, you know what, you're all going small, I'm going to go the other way, and we're going to play with big offensive linemen, and we're going to pound the rock, and we're going to run the football, and we're going to play with a fullback, and we're just going to run you over, I think that could have worked. Would it have won Super Bowls? I don't know about that. You saw in Tennessee it didn't, Cleveland it didn't, but those teams got to the playoffs and Tennessee got a number one seed. If Bill had embraced that and gone all in on investing on the line and investing at running back, I think you would have had a system that would have been very successful in the regular season. Instead, he cut from the line, right? He allowed Trent Brown to go. He allowed Shaq Mason to go, Joe Tooney, Ted Karras. They were all gone. If he had invested in the line and just ran people over, I think that would have worked. They didn't do that. And since they didn't do that, they didn't keep up with the Joneses the rest of the way on offense. They didn't play the speed offensive game, so they were just caught in this hybrid for the last few years where they were doing a little bit of everything and none of it well. It's Brady Farkas' show on DEV. Uh, Texter says, um, this is Ross, 100% lost his way. I've noticed that the last few years. I want to see coaches, new coaches, and new quarterbacks. Do you think he'll be hired as a defensive coordinator? No, I think he'll be hired as a head coach. The Los Angeles Chargers have an opening? I'd call Bill Belichick. The Atlanta Falcons have an opening? I'd call Bill Belichick. The um, Washington Commanders have an opening? I'd call Bill Belichick. I think Bill Belichick will get a job as a head coach, and we'll also see what happens come playoff time as well and see if anybody there loses their job. We'll come back. We'll finish out the show. i got to give a little love to the Celtics for last night. UVM hoops on the men's side plays in about 10 minutes from now. Women's side with a win earlier today. We'll talk about all of that on the Brady Farkas show on DEV. (laughs) Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on DEV. Just a couple of minutes left here on the show. I want to wrap it up here kind of with a little bit of rapid fire. First off, good win today by the UVM women's basketball team. Catamounts played an early matinee game on the road at UMBC. It was like a like a school day, field trip day, a bunch of little kids at UMBC were there. Cats won by 15, 10 and 7 is their record, 2 and 1 in league play. It was ugly early though. This team, they won, they put it together in the second half, they outscored UMBC by 23 in the second half, which is insane. But it's gonna be a grind for this team. I'm not saying they won't win the league, but it's not gonna be handed to them either. They really do struggle shooting the basketball. They end up scoring 70 points. They end up, you know, hitting seven threes. But my goodness, it was tough early. In the first quarter, they shot 30%. In the second quarter, they shot 38%. Then they shot 62% in the fourth quarter. Right? They were two of ten from three in the first half. The three players get double figures: Emma Utterback, Anna Olson, Kira Hansen off the bench. All had 19. I don't know what is going on with Delaney Richardson. Delaney Richardson is like an all-conference caliber player. She scored three points. They were all on free throws. You look at Delaney Richardson and her game log. I mean, Danny, this is insane for Richardson. She's gone in the last, like, she's only scored double figures one, two, three, four, five times in 17 games. That's Like I was saying early in the year, Richardson, Utterback, Olsen have to be double figures every game. She's only done it five times in 17 games. She's averaging 7.2 points per game. Several games where she's like three, two, four, five. They gotta figure out how to get her going. It's good that Kira Hansen is doing it off the bench, but they gotta get her going. UVM Men Tonight, nationally televised game on ESPNU. I'm taping the game because it starts right after the show. So by the time I get home, I don't want to have missed it. So I'm going to watch the game on tape. So we'll do a recap of that tomorrow. Cats at home with Patrick Jim. If you're on your way into the gym right now or close to it, I hope you have an absolute blast. Those national TV games on ESPNU are always a lot of fun. Danny, Celtics with a win yesterday over the T-Wolves. They're going to play the Bucks tonight, so it's not going to get any easier. But big win yesterday in the front end of the back-to-back. They beat the uh, T-Wolves, number one seed in the West right now in overtime, 127-120. This one was interesting, right? The Cs were down nine with a handful of five minutes left or so in the Four, fourth I quarter. Think. Four minutes left in the third quarter. Fourth quarter, uh, Nickel Alexander-Walker was killing the Celtics in the second half. He only had 15 points for the game. I could have sworn he had like 40. It felt like 40, but he was playing very, very well. Celtics did a good job defensively late. Jalen Brown locking up Anthony Edwards was nice. Tatum was a big shot. Tatum didn't play like the first five minutes of the fourth quarter. When he got back in that last five minutes of the game, he was absolutely killing them. And Danny, only three players in double figures for the Celtics last night, so kind of a different way for them to win. Porzingis didn't play. But 45 from Tatum, 35 from Brown, 12 from Holiday, and that was it. Yeah. Like they got some balanced contributions from other guys, like a bunch of guys with 8 or 9, but this wasn't the 5 guys at double figures we've seen before. Offense was really tough the entire game. I mean, overtime and it was, I think it was only what, 111 was the final? Yes, one, it was 111, 111 going into overtime. Yeah, so, I I mean, it was not a high-scoring game. There was a lot of defense being played, a lot of missed shots, and it was just a – it felt almost like a playoff game with some intensity there. Very, very physical. I'm happy the Celtics won. It's a game I would expect them to win at home, right? Minnesota's the young team, the new team, trying to figure out how to win those games on the road. I'm glad the Celtics were able to keep them at bay and not allow them to get it because that's a game the Celtics, the experienced team, should win. Thanks to Buster. Happy Legal Gambling Day in the state of Vermont. Do it safely. Do it responsibly. Uh, DraftKings FanDuel, they're all open now. So there you go. Jazz with George Thomas is next on DEV.